the nature of the art forms. Like, com- comedians are all soloists, essentially. I mean, unless you're in, like, a comedy duo. But if you're a stand-up comedian, you're essentially a soloist. Whereas in music, like, soloists are, like, a very small group of musicians in the classical world. So mostly... Mm-hmm. What the thing that we do as classical musicians is play with other musicians, and whoever is like the featured one is gets a little bit more like being an actor, and we're like the extras, and the famous <laughs> actor is like the lead. Yeah. So we're not gonna, there's like this hierarchy. Whereas, because with stand up, everyone's just going up and getting the same amount of attention when they have their moment, whether it's for five minutes or an hour. It's you are the only thing people are paying attention to. And it's just the nature of the art form. Welcome, everybody, to the Faking Faking Notes Notes Podcast. Podcast, 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 podcast. It's time. It's time. time. Repeat guest. I'd like to thank this podcast for her rise to success. (laughs) Isabel Hagen. Yes, indeed. Back in the house. Yes, indeed. And she is a wonderful human being went to Juilliard with us is a violist just like your boy, your boy. and she's a stand-up comedian and she's been crushing it the last time we spoke to her was just a few weeks before covid she was telling us about this little set she had going on at a, a small show called the tonight show and she was the last opening comedian before there was no more live audience and they pretty much had to shut down the show at the end of that week so she's got this huge milestone to where she had one of the like the biggest performances the biggest platforms Everything's going great, contrasted with this massive pandemic, world's going to shut down, raw chaos. And so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about what she's been up to and what she's been doing this past year. And we love having her on. She's hilarious. It was a great episode. Before we get into it, don't forget to you know subscribe to our podcast, rate it five stars, join our Discord. We have a wonderful growing community there where we're talking, we're sharing memes. We have upcoming Discord events. You don't want to miss them. Live streams, movie nights, we're, we're, we're really getting involved in our little town square. And if you really like what we're doing, consider contributing to our Patreon campaign. This podcast is something that we want to grow into uh, part of our livelihoods. If we have the financial incentive to keep it going, your support would be instrumental, pun intended, in helping us keep this thing going. Give us your money. Patreon. Fake it out Patreon. Give us your money. Uh, we love having Isabel back on again. Uh, she also has her own podcast, Good Timing. It's hilarious. It's great. She's got her own shows coming up on YouTube. She's writing. She's doing live shows again. Our next guest, Isabel Hank. So, what's good, Isabel Hagen? Thank you for joining us once Woo-hoo! again. Thank you for having me. Coming back through. <laughs> to Isabel, too furious. Oh yeah, you know it. <laughs> Family now. You're part of. You're part of a, a very wonderful, special but small company. People that have <laughs> appeared multiple times on this podcast, and and I love how you know the conversation changes every single time. It's like a little time capsule of time as we progress forward, we mature, we get better at what we do. Or we don't. um, Say what? (laughs) What we don't? Or or, or we don't. Or we don't. I mean, hopefully, just incremental. Life is long. In prepping for this conversation, I listened back to the last time we spoke. And I believe like you were the very last guest we had right before, right when we had the live studio, Trevor and I were sharing a mic in his apartment. (laughs) 
And you were about to go do a, a tiny set on Jimmy Fallon. You remember that? Teeny tiny. Teeny tiny. Teensy weensy set. <laughs> Same old night. Do you want to do you want to re- do you want to recap like that experience? Because I know it was like over a year ago now, but that was a really big moment. It was a big deal for me. It was the biggest thing I had done and still have done since everything shut down right after. Yeah. But it was weird because, yeah, we did this podcast maybe like March 1st. I don't know when it was. Yeah, something like that. Really early March, right before things were starting to seem a little weird, but everyone was going, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one, but it'll be fine. And then I did The Tonight Show on March 11th. Which So I was the last guest on your show before the shutdown. I was also the last guest on The Tonight Show with a live audience. And then two days later, they didn't even they weren't even in the studio anymore. So it was in the one hand, I was just it was I got to be living a dream. It was an amazing day for me. I had dreamed about performing comedy on The Tonight Show. I had played music on it before and I would always take like a moment to myself backstage and say one day you're going to tell jokes here so it was special just personally for me but then at the same time they were saying like yeah this is the last show with an audience for a while like we don't really know what we're going to do there were like all these covid jokes on the show and everything seemed very (laughs) apocalyptic and like is the world about to end like what (laughs) what is happening so it was a really weird day i could never have predicted that that would be a day that I got to experience in my life. And what I love the most about, and it was, it's kind of like removed from that experience. You like gently ribbed violists on that show (laughs) and (laughs) in front of the national, national audience. And I love that you took our signature violist self-deprecation. And what was even funnier is you made a video uh, about being guilt, feeling guilty about doing that to to your community, and I was wondering if you could like, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I made a video that you were in, Drew, yeah. where I basically brought different prominent violists on. We got Cynthia Phelps from the New York Phil. We got Kim Cash Cashian, <laughs> arguably the most famous violist in the world, to to come on a Zoom call with me and accept an apology from me for the viola joke that I made on The Tonight Show, but the joke is that none of them even saw it. And actually, (laughs) most of them actually didn't see it. So it was real. You had seen it, Drew, so you were doing good acting. I had seen it. (laughs) But most of them had not seen it and did not know who I was or anything, which was great. But the way that video came about was actually that Steve Tenenbaum, our Mm -hmm. former sort of teacher, you and I didn't study with him directly, but he was in the OCT umbrella, reached out to me and was like, did you hear the joke Colbert made the other night? with John Oliver about violas. And I hadn't, I don't watch Colbert. I don't watch late night TV. And it was, he was like, he basically used your joke. And I was like, Oh, and let me, I looked it up and Steve was like, I'm working with the American Viola Society right now. We want to get more attention. Would you make a reaction video where you're like, we as violists are offended and like, you stole my joke. And I was just like, there's no way I'm doing that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. awful uh, yeah. for a number Comedy. of reasons. Like he didn't, yeah. st- I knew he didn't steal my joke. It's whatever. You, it's parallel thing, whatever. That just and happens. And that's a really big accusation. Yeah. Community. I would never yeah. dream of yeah. doing that, even if he maybe did, but which he definitely didn't. But even no, if he had, I just not, wouldn't have even yeah. wanted to go there. I'm like a little old nobody and whatever. But I was thinking about it and I was like, but wouldn't it be funny if I apologized for my joke? And then nobody even saw it. I was only comfortable doing something if I was going to be the butt of the joke. And so that's how that idea came about. And so I pitched that to Steve 
And Steve loved that. And he was like, oh, I can get all these violists on board. I'll talk to Kim. I'll talk to Paul Neubauer. I'll get Larry Dutton on the line. I was like, great. So he like produced it with me. He was the reason I was able to get all those prominent violists. So it became like this really fun thing. And I was like so busy for two days, like with all these Zoom calls with different viola heroes of mine. And it was ended up being like a really fun thing. That blew my mind just watching that come together. Just this is Viola Nerd Hour, Faking Fam. Okay. We're talking about some really heady stuff, some very niche stuff. But yeah, seeing Cynthia Phelps and and Steve Tenenbaum and Kim Kim Koshkoshian in a video, in a YouTube video, was something like without her viola was something I never thought I'd live to see. So I just want to personally thank you for uh, <laughs> making that. Happen. Thanks, Steve. And that video is hilarious. Oh, thanks. Absolutely. That video is hilarious. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna share that in Discord, by the way. So if you guys want to check it out, it's called a violist a violist apology. Yes, um, which has a sure double meaning because like apology can also be like a, a defense. Yeah. So it's like in defense of violists too. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Oh my goodness. It's, it's great to see them have their moment. And you, you've really reclaimed the viola joke. You've, you've taken it back. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, I was really trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you wind up on The Tonight Show and then the world shuts down. You were like the last live guest right the those the, the last night of, of them playing to an audience yeah i think the next night they had everyone in the studio but there was no one in the audience so if you listen to the laughs it's just the producers and the cameramen laughing or camera people sorry and then like next day they were like we can't even be in here <laughs> we have to go home you know that's got to be weird I, I want to like get inside your brain because you have such a huge milestone that's contrasted against the backdrop of the world on fire and like everyone afraid. Normally when something like this happens, okay, the whole family, let's go out. This is big. This is awesome. Let's live in the moment. And then you perform. It's hilarious. Drew and I are watching it. We're watching it live. We're like, hell yeah, we're rooting you on. And then the reaction is, of course, I don't see your family. Don't do anything. Don't go outside. Don't breathe. Don't touch anything. What's it like having this contrast of a nice milestone within your career and then the world shutting down? It was really bizarre. And I, yeah, like I, I did the Tonight Show. My parents came, they were there with my brother and hopefully they didn't get COVID from being in the crowded audience when it was definitely all around us already. We watched at my parents' place and then I went home and I didn't leave the house for two weeks. Then I started going out for groceries and things, but I really just immediately, it was my last performance for months, (laughs) which I was grateful to end on a high note. If I was going to have a final performance, I'd want it to be that. It was also a bummer to like not get to immediately use that credit and go out and perform more. So it was like good and bad, depending on how you look at it. But yeah, it was I almost felt like I was frozen in time for a while. Like it it kind of also made the high of doing the show last longer because it was the last thing anyone had to. It was one of the last things that happened at least in my world Mm -hmm. with people I knew. So everyone kept like referring to it longer than they probably would have. They would have like forgotten it and gone about their lives, but everyone was just home. Oh yeah. And you did the Tonight Show six months ago. That was cool. You know, 
<laughs> it's no longer the Tonight Show. It's just the To Year Show. Oh man, just side me up. I could insult an instrument too. Oh, bassoon jokes. It's now time to shine. Wow. No, that that's a very good point and such a weird thing. On on the flip side, I just recently interacted with one of our other guests, Bad Snacks, and she had the reverse to where her first show back post pandemic was opening up at Red Rocks, and so she has this weird thing to where like psychologically she hadn't been doing anything for a year, no performance, no nothing. And then to come back to the biggest audience of her life. And that's how it's just weird to think because we see these kind of waves. And this is just a random moment to where it wasn't a wave. It was a cliff. It was a roller coaster and the straight down vertical, such a high and such a low. I'll, I'll give you another anecdote that that reminds me of if this is a little maybe problematic. But I my first live show back, well, I had done like a few park shows and then I took a long time off for the winter. And then in March, I finally had a show back in this big outdoor dome area. And Louis C.K. was also on the show. And so my first time doing stand-up after months was in front of my, you know, favorite stand-up comedian. <laughs> and it was just like, wow. how is this? How is this the first time I'm doing stand-up again? Great. <laughs> Like I'm rusty and the guy who inspired me to start stand up is watching. So it went fine. It was fine. But that reminded me of that. That's a lot of pressure. It's almost like playing viola after a year for Cynthia Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Did you get to interact with him at all? Oh, yeah. He was very nice. Complimentary. Yeah, was... You know, it's like fine. But it was just I, I knew he was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because, and you know this, but this is for the faking fam, like when you're in a classical music setting and you're performing and they're like really famous people that you're performing with, if you're in the orchestra, you often don't get to like interact with them, especially if there's somebody that you like really look up to. They're like the first one out the door. <laughs> so right. you never get a chance to like to interact with your heroes. But that's that's really cool that you got a moment to, to speak with him because you were on the same show. I really feel like that's something we could do more of in the classical music world, which is like socially interact with each other. Is that something? Nah. Yeah, I think in the comedy nah. world, there's much more reaching across levels of, and it just being like, mm -hmm. hey, we're all comics. And like, y you can stumble into these situations where you'll be doing comedy for not that long. And then some famous person like Jerry Seinfeld drops in because he needs to do a spot. And all of a sudden you're like, on a show with Jerry Seinfeld. And it doesn't mean you guys are the same level, but you do get to have the same experiences in a weird way. Whereas with music, you have to practice years and years before you would even be in the same performance as one of your idols. So, yeah. That's, that's weird. That's weird. Wouldn't it be good to have more mentorship in the music space? Do, do you think that comes from like a perspective of like scarcity? and competition where it's if you are a person who I, it's, it's weird to feel like this but I, I feel like i'm at a different level than when i graduated mm -hmm. i have a few years of freelancing and performance and i have some projects under my belt but i still don't feel any different than when i left juilliard but people when i perform sometimes will act as if like i have achieved a level of success which I don't know. At least what you're talking about with comedy is like if you if you're on a set with Jerry Seinfeld, this yeah, we're all doing the same thing. But for some reason, that doesn't translate to music in the same way. 
Right. Do you have an idea as to why that is? It's the nature of the art forms. Like com- comedians are all soloists, essentially. I mean, unless you're in like a comedy duo, but like, if you're a stand-up comedian, you're essentially a soloist. Whereas in music, like soloists are like a very small group of musicians in the classical world. So mostly, mm-hmm. what the thing that we do as classical musicians is play with other musicians. And whoever is like the featured one is it's a little bit more like being an actor and we're like the extras and the famous <laughs> actor is like the lead. Yeah. So we're not good. There's like this hierarchy, whereas because with stand up, everyone's just going up and getting the same amount of attention. When they have their moment, whether it's for five minutes mm-hmm. or an hour, it's you are the only thing people are paying attention to. And it's just the nature of the art form. Mm-hmm. I also wonder, too, because both comedy you hear from comedians and musicians, like the long arc it takes to success, there's not many people who played violin for two years and then they're just like selling out Carnegie Hall. There's a long journey. And likewise, there's not that many superstar comedians. Like no one seems to really pop out of nowhere. They've been in that circuit for a while. Maybe they were just younger when they started. They understand that mutual grind. And I'm wondering if with these comedians, like why do they necessarily interact with people who are just starting out, people who are way up on different parts of their journey? And I wonder if it's because they always remember what it was like. I hope like they remember what it was like to bomb, to continuously bomb, to have no money, to be going out every night with no food (laughs) just to try to make some people laugh. Like I, I just wonder if that kind of gets deeply ingrained in there because you see every art form it's, there's a lot of like problematic people in it. There's a lot of issues, but like all of that aside, it just seems like the going rate for comedians is probably a better average than some other art forms. And I'm wondering if it's because they remember the suffering or the grind and what it was like to have nothing at the start. Probably because when you don't start comedy when you're like five and like just it doesn't become like this innate, like we all started the violin or whatever we played when we were really little and viscerally remember like that in that steep learning curve that happened when I was like eight or whatever, when I started like sounding good or sounding okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was eight or 10. And when I switched to viola, I started getting better because I practiced more because I liked the viola more. But with comedy, like <laughs> Shout you, out. most likely, I mean, there are some like weird acts I've seen like a 12 year old comedian and like good for them. But mostly you're starting yeah. when you're like, no, no younger than 18 or 17 or something like a teenager, a fully aware human. So you're just going to remember <laughs> when you sucked much more viscerally and how hard it was. Like, I remember and I'm still I'm not like saying, oh, look at me now. Like, I remember like I'm still in the grind a lot. I like do terrible yeah. shows all the time. I bomb. I like all of that stuff. And you always do that as a comedian. But I remember like barking on the street to get a five minute spot. I remember like asking strangers in Times Square if they want to go see a comedy show and being like, how am I doing? Like, cause I was just so desperate for stage time and that's a way to get it at when you're starting out. Or I remember doing two open, two to four open mics a day with like other miserable comedians. I just remember all that. And it wasn't that long ago for me, but when I'm 50, I'll still remember all that. So if there's like someone up and coming who I think is really good, I'm definitely going to want to be nice to them because I know exactly what they're going through. Mm. I didn't even know you 
did yeah. that because I, 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 so my first, first memories, visceral memories of going to New York City when I was 18 with my school orchestra was like going through Times Square and having Barker try to give me flyers. You want to see some comedy? And I was like, yeah. And I turned to my teacher, can we go see comedy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> So you like, no. you were like, that's like something you do when you're just starting out. I didn't know. Yeah. So it depends. Some of those barkers are actually weirdly making money and they're not necessarily all comedians, but most likely if a guy is trying to hand you flyers to see a comedy show, like he's a comic with dreams. So, you know, <laughs> don't go to the show. The show is going to be really bad, but at least be nice to him or her. <laughs> Very sensitive. Don't feed them though. No, no, the shows are okay, like good. bad and like expensive. And if it's in Times Square, if it's in the village, that's a little different. Those are usually like free shows and they really just want like an audience. Times Square is usually like they're like trying to charge you a lot for tickets and it's you don't do that. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness gracious. Good tick bacon fan. Yeah, it's a great point. I didn't even think about that. That you always that more often than not you're coming to this late. And that's a painful time to have rejection anywhere between the ages of 18 to 90. Like getting rejected is. Oh, yeah. Once you're is, 91, is it's like, all right. After nah, that, you're in, fucking, yeah. you're in the bonus <laughs> round. You're like, this is all free, baby. Right. Like, time to do some drugs. <laughs> I, can, I, can I jump in uh, on this, like, this wave of comedy? Because let's not like spend too much time like talking about like, you starting out because you're established like you were just in detroit two weeks ago at comedy castle and i haven't been to detroit for a few years now but i remember the food scene being like mad decent did you eat anything bomb while you were up there i remember feeling like everything i ate in detroit tasted really weird i just everything had like a different taste to it i don't know if it was just a royal oak <laughs> michigan thing like a very small but let's see i didn't have anything like amazing Oh, in, in, I'm sorry. Are you? Did I? Are you from Detroit? Oh no, God, no! I'm no, from you're Atlanta. from Atlanta. I, I just knew that. yeah, from ATL. No, but like I've been a couple times because like I used to do things with Sphinx. Okay. And so they're based in Detroit, and I remember going to some really cool dives in in Detroit that were like surprisingly good, very greasy, but like mad decent. So I was curious about that, but I'm really curious about the shows you were doing up there because you were there from july 8th to the 10th right yeah that was great you know my schedule better than i do <laughs> look i'm trying look i'm taking notes you prepared but like how many shows podcast it was yeah it was four shows it was one night one on one night one on one night and then two the last night yeah it was super fun i'm str it's i was the headliners i got to do you know 45 50 minutes which is newer to me now but I'm starting to yeah. it's starting to be something I can do, which is cool. It's because you start first. You start with okay, I need to get a good five minutes. Okay, now I can do ten. Like city spots are usually ten to fifteen minutes. Okay, getting that. Then I did twenty for the first time a few years ago, and that was like a big deal. And then I did a half hour. So now it's okay. And each one of these like times now it's okay. I can do twenty in my sleep now. And now like 45 yeah. is like the new kind of, okay, I have to like really focus for this and make sure mm -hmm. I have everything. And so it's, it's just, it's exciting to get to do that and, and flex that muscle because it's something I need to keep getting better at. That's huge. Like what it goes into the preparation for these kind of different durations, because 45 minutes is not a short amount of time to keep everyone happy and have their attention. 
Like, what's the difference? What's the difference between 20 minutes and 45 minutes? Having like, you know, markers where you're like, okay, this is maybe we're all like reset, take a drink of water. And because what I'm learning more and more is the transitions between jokes are so important because the joke on it on its own could be like a joke that tends to work, especially in like a quick five minute set. But you're doing it in a longer thing. And you're like, why is this not like hitting as hard? And it's because it's maybe in the wrong place or you jumped to it after you were doing a whole thing on like, your farts. And then now all of a sudden you're talking about like <laughs> feminism and you're and you have to guide the audience. We have to link these together. It's not that they don't want to hear about feminism. either of those things necessarily, but audiences you have to treat them like they're really stupid, even if they're smart, because you you need them to laugh. So you need it to be like very much like you like sometimes a co- comedian will jump to something and you're like, wait, why are they talking about that now? And then you've just missed what they said. So you have to like really guide them through. So I think preparing for a longer set, I was just like even more careful about like transitions and OK, let me make sure I really have a clear reason why I'm saying this next thing that makes sense to what came before. Or is this a moment where I, again, like reset and like you also there's like the the check drop. You got it. The staff is coming around towards the end of your set, dropping the checks. The audience is going to be more distracted then. So that's maybe when you go into the crowd a little or you like say, give it up for your weight. Like just like little things you learn about. And everyone's different. This is just what I'm finding. But yeah. And then just going through like for me, it was like, OK, let me look at every joke I've written and see how I can weave this into some sort of cohesive thing. and. I don't know. It's so interesting because I I love what you said about treating your audience like they're dumb. (laughs) And that's not a pejorative. No, it's not a pejorative at all because filmmaking is very similar. Like storytelling Mm -hmm. is if you want to tell a compelling story, it's like a hypnotism. You have to think for them Mm -hmm. so that you can, they can go on the ride with you. And one thing that I've noticed from listening to comics, one of them being Joe Rogan, he used to talk about, I don't listen to him that much anymore, but he used to talk about like uh, comedy being like a hypnotism. Do you feel like that? Like you're showing your perspective, but you're doing it in a way where you take people and you put them in your brain. I like the word hypnotism. I've never thought of that word, but Mm -hmm. what I have thought, which is similar, is that comedy is like a magic trick and it's an illusion because mm. sometimes you'll hear a comedian do a set and you, everyone's laughing and they're killing it and you're laughing and you're like this is the fucking funniest thing can i curse on this podcast is yeah that yeah, okay? yeah we're fucking okay. dirty here <laughs> yeah you are you guys are so dirty <laughs> anyway you're like this is the fucking funniest thing i've ever seen oh my god and then maybe you're like a comedy fan or you, you see that comedian again you see them tell the same jokes and just seeing the same jokes again, sometimes you're like, oh, like I, it, it's like a magician showing how to do his tricks. And sometimes you see the same jokes again and they don't do well. And that's even worse. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, like this isn't that funny. Why was I laughing before? And mm-hmm. I think there are things that are just like they're going to get a laugh like most of the time. There is like a way to achieve something that's like pretty funny to most people. But even then, it's still always like this sort of it context-based what's the room it's it's so dependent on the situation and it really is this illusion and yeah maybe this sort of hypnotism that if you when you do well you're like hypnotizing the crowd and bringing them into that world with you otherwise it's just words i'm curious is does your strategy change at all like now that you're getting called to lead the city you're getting invited out to places you're traveling 
uh, and going Utah was Utah a recent stop. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're just going out to to non New York, non LA places. Do you notice a difference in the crowd? Do yeah. they appreciate you more because you're something new? You're in from the big city. Do you approach things differently? What is that like? I haven't had like enough experience yet. I think to say definitively. Obviously, like in Utah, like I didn't. I was like a little less dirty. Like, I don't think I said the F word once. I don't think I said fuck because I was told that in general, like that can just alienate them a little more. I I tried to be Mm -hmm. a little cleaner. And when I did a dirty joke, I was like, do you guys want to hear a dirty joke? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, great. I like made sure to guide them into that. Um, I also think people are like almost when I'm dirty, it's almost like more offensive or upsetting to people because I seem like this really nice, sweet, girl so it's like they're like why is this nice girl talking like that about her pussy uh, and, you know and i don't even orgasms. Mind, orgasms. But, uh, I don't, know i haven't heard of that but yeah i definitely take into account i'm like okay are these people whose political beliefs probably align with mine i don't know yeah i did uh i did one of my first sets back was in new brunswick i wasn't headlining but i was doing like 20 mm-hmm. and boy that crowd was not for me and <laughs> I don't know if it was like they could just they just didn't like my style, whatever, or they could tell I was my my jokes aren't very political, but maybe they could just tell I'm like a liberal and they're they were definitely not Mm -hmm. that kind of a crowd, at least not the nights (laughs) I was there. And it just I could just sense we were not on the same page at all. So it's definitely good to at least know that going in. So if you because you don't want to like pander. But at least you you yeah. should like know mm-hmm. why something's not working. Is it me? Is it them? Is it both? You can always get better and funnier. That's the mm-hmm. bottom line. Mm-hmm. But also like I'm not gonna beat myself up if they're just definitely never gonna be my crowd. So I'm not gonna worry about it. I don't know. I'm also still learning. I'm like a baby, so I, I'd be like mortified if like a well-known comedian heard me say that because I feel like they'd be like, "No, you must be good with every crowd." I've tried to think. There's so many funny clips of where I want to say Bill Barr, but that's definitely my, <laughs> Bill Burr. I need to plug my computer in. <laughs> Attorney General. Different. I need to. Yeah, my computer absolutely. is going to die if I don't plug it in. So let me. Let's just pause. We're pausing. And I'm going to grab my Perfect. Charger. Keep it running. Yeah, Bill Barr. <laughs> was like, yeah, the Bill Barr. Oh, the it. Attorney General coming up doing a set. Hey, man, let's just like democracy what's with that i like to undermine it yeah yeah nice democracy you got there it's shame if i shame if i like fucked it up we're safe i was like no we're safe okay you're safe dropping yeah bill bill bar comedy special said okay so with bill burp there's so many funny clips of him going out and just like berating the crowd and it's He's a contrarian. It's in his style. But even somewhere where they'd be a big fan of him, like Philly, there's this famous 10. He just goes on there and just dumps on Philly for 10 minutes. And if there's any city that loves itself and takes pride in itself, it's Philly. And so that's the self-confidence to go in there and do that. Like he knew like the audience wasn't liking what he was putting down. But you can see how he like reacted to that. He's this is yes, this is going to be hostile, but. I prepared for this moment. Um, sorry, the, you're a little, you're way out of sync with the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Maybe because my computer was dying. Okay, I just Isn't won't it? look at you guys. Um, I'll just pretend that it's an audio. Only. Yeah, just don't look at us. Look. That's, yeah, that's how most people react to me. I just, I can't. Just look don't at look you guys at him. <laughs> It'll, it, everything will be okay. Okay, so. <laughs> It's tricky. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. We we will have a fresh start. We'll just do a fresh start. Yeah. In terms of adapting to a crowd, I think it's a balance. Because you want, you obviously want to do well, 
do as well as you can always, but you also don't want to like sacrifice your thing just for one crowd. Can I like change direction a little bit? Please do. <laughs> and before we hopped in on this call, Isabel and I were talking and it was cool because when we had you on the podcast last time, you were you were about to start your very own podcast. And here we are 16 months later, you have 53 episodes now and you're on a break. But what I thought was so interesting is when you were thinking about your podcast, you were going to name it Just a Stage. And <laughs> it was going to have a focus on performance anxiety. And your work as a violist and a comedian really lend to that subject. When you dropped the podcast, it was called Good Timing. And I'm really interested in like how you went through that transformation of thinking about how to change uh, the content of the podcast and, and, and things like that. And, and I'm, I'm curious as to your, that development. Well, think now that you talk about it, I'm like, man, I should have called it just a stage and had it be like more just about performance anxiety. But I also, I like good timing because it also refers to both music and comedy. Obviously you need good timing for both. It's like a positive sounding title. And I wanted there to be a little more flexibility in what the podcast could be about. Also, I think I just told my boyfriend the title and he was like, just a stage. And he was like, that's a shitty title. (laughs) So I changed it. But (laughs) So it was kind of just, you know, I was just spitballing and just a stage was the working title. And then good timing. I think it's a nice title. I don't know. But but yeah, I stopped doing it. I, I liked your. I like it. You like just a stage or you like good timing? (laughs) I like both of them because what you said in the podcast was everything is just a stage. Like whether you're going into your practice room, whether you're going to work on some jokes, whether you're going to meet people, if you have anxiety in these situations, it's just a stage. And if you step back and realize that the stakes are low and nobody really, there's no really real consequences for failure, you can actually get over that. And I love that message. And I like took that with me from that conversation. So that's when you came out with good timing, I was like, that's even better. And I I just love how you transformed it. I was just curious how things changed. It's just my boyfriend. (laughs) 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 So how is it having, Cause yeah, you're 50 plus episodes in since we last spoke. Like, what has that process been like? Are there any highlights and like learnings? What have you gained from running your own podcast? I learned a lot about being an interviewer. I learned the importance and difficulty of actually listening to what my guest is saying, because I'm sure you've experienced this. You're thinking about your next question. So you're not actually listening to what they're telling you and then I listen back editing it and I'm like oh my god they just said something so interesting and I just let that slip on by I should have asked them more about that but I was too concerned with my own fucking agenda so I I just learned a lot about being a host and I also learned that I say a lot of the same things over and over again and I was starting to feel like (laughs) the podcast I don't know I think some people get different things out of podcasts I think some people like podcasts as like a relaxing thing to have in the background. And then the repetitive nature of them can be nice. Like, oh, this is like the message I always get. This gets me into that nice zone. I like this. And some people really want to like learn things from podcasts. And so if you're saying the same thing over and over again, 
eventually they get a little sick of you and there are a lot of podcasts out there. So I was mixed in what I was trying to do and what I felt like I was succeeding at doing. And I don't know, I have to reevaluate. And if I'm going to start it again, I need to shift it a little bit. I don't know how exactly, but I don't ever want to do something I don't feel really excited about creatively. If it's not, like, it's not making me money. So I have to really like doing it. Damn straight. Yeah. <laughs> we, feel, we feel that. Yeah. We're just making so much money with this. Like, we just don't even know what to do with it. Just, yeah. That's why I wanted to be on. Like Breaking Bad. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a storage unit for all of our podcast money. Cash <laughs> and just duffel bags. We actually have a Discord channel now. Yeah. What's that? It's like a platform for... You can create your own server for chat. And I think it could be really good for you to have a Discord server, Isabel, because like when you go and do your sets, you can have you can have your fans have a way to meet each other, mm-hmm. contact each other, talk to each other. And it's a way to build like an online community that you can you have a little bit of ownership over in that like you can control you can say this is where all of my shows are here's some videos of some of my past shows and you can go and and put it on your discord server and people can actually give you feedback they can talk about it immediately and talk to each other so it's really cool in that way because instagram is not instagram has profoundly changed and is continuing to change in a way that i think is lending to its inevitable demise so other zuckerberg (laughs) instagram's going to space when are we sending zuckerberg to space i know when zuckerberg we sent the rest of them but uh, i I hear what you're saying about the the podcast too because we've evolved a bunch it was drew and i goofing off with the occasional guest and it just seems most people know it's becoming slowly less funny and more serious Uh, we get on some like awesome guests and so it's gone through its various journeys but the one thing we like about the Discord. It's a new thing where we're happy to have people join in on the regular, but is that with podcasts, like the one downside is that it's just always been a, it's a one-way street. Like we have, you don't really know who's listening. You don't really know what interests them. You can't get that feedback. You can get via the comment section or something like, Hey, I liked this more comedic element that you were doing, or I liked this more like performance anxiety on stage music comedy like which angle to take it we we just couldn't get that feedback because Mm -hmm. we don't know who these people are and so we wanted to interact with them and learn with them and like actually have the two-way conversation Mm -hmm. and so we've been trying that with discord but yeah i'm curious it's good to take a a pause and reassess and that's how we get that's how you improve at music that's how you improve at comedy it's how you improve at everything Is, is there any inkling of what you would do in say the next iteration of good timing like which which one would excite you? What would excite you the most? I think I want to make it funnier because right now it's like a very serious podcast. It's like a really deep kind of exploration mm-hmm. of the creative process. And that's something I'm really interested in, but it's getting kind of old, I think. And I would love to have more of a banter based, like I'm a comedian. I want to be, I should be funny. Like, why am I not? I, I don't know. It's just... <laughs> occasionally I'll be funny on the podcast I'm like oh like people like this I think so I think I would maybe get like a co-host or just interview more comedians who I I don't know I don't know exactly but something a little more lighter that still has a little bit of deep undertones if that makes sense (laughs) it makes a ton of sense because we've been like leaning towards it's just inevitably been going towards that more serious 
side of things too and not serious and oh god this is so important but yeah finding the guest who'd be comfortable with us going off the rails it's tough uh, particularly with our music side you know, so many musicians just like struggle enough already to have a conversation oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we want to record them and then uh, make dick jokes uh, about their music <laughs> it's really hard so uh, yeah i'm very interested in like how to strike that balance speaking of dick jokes i'm sorry to railroad you trevor i wanted to get this one in because you mentioned <laughs> is this Lucy a dick K. joke like this sounds like a dick no joke. you mentioned i'm getting Lucy railroaded K. and you want to get it in this i want to is... get it in okay dick get jokes. it in okay louis ck you you mentioned he was one of your influences who were some other influences of yours as a comedian because i've always wondered this and i don't think i ever asked you yeah the biggest ones were yeah louis mitch hedberg he once I watched Mitch mm-hmm. Hedberg, my whole like idea of comedy changed. I, I've discovered him I in high school, now. and probably the biggest one, just in terms of me wanting me being like that is so amazing, was George Carlin and early Dave Chappelle. And I, again, these aren't oh, like OG. people who I necessarily like. You would never be like, oh yeah, I see the Chappelle, and they're like definitely not, but like just um <laughs> very like oh that's amazing, and I want to do that. Uh-huh. In terms of like direct influence, definitely more like Mitch Hedberg. Uh, I love Gary Goldman, Maria Bamford, and those might be people you would Todd Barry. You'd see oh I see that, how she yeah who knows, <laughs> but <laughs> I only know a few of those because I'm not. I sh- I'm not as versed in comedy as I should be, but I'm like going to go check them out after this conversation because I do love the art form. And I think it's really cool that you have such a diverse array of influences. They're all very different. Like Mitch, which is like how quick and how like that hour, he's just going to burn through 400 jokes. And then <laughs> Chappelle, it's just okay. Like this is an eight-minute story. This is an eight-minute story with a twist. This is an eight-minute story with a twist. Right. But one thing I really liked, I don't know if you happen to have seen it on Netflix, was because there's so much Chappelle on Netflix now, but there's one where he's getting the Mark Twain Prize. It's at the Kennedy Center. It's a big to-do, and of course, they bring out everyone, and there's funny bits, and it's showing him when he was younger and talking about his life. But I know I really enjoyed that because he talks about beginning, and the, the legend of Chappelle was that he came out and he did what no one did. He crushed his first set. Everyone has layers. And then the next 10 were bombs. They were awful. Like no one had a good first set except Chappelle. And then the rest were terrible. But like him and Louis and a bunch of these others, uh, yeah, well not, well, not perfect. Like you can see that they were embraced by the comedian community. Chappelle has his tribe. They all went there. They all went up and spoke and sang his praises. And like he was giving them opportunities. Louis getting a bunch of writers and a lot of other people. There's something to be said about these particular comedians because they would just happen to be on top for so long. Like they've had some like huge staying power. They weren't really flashes in the pan. And it seems like part of that is because they did give back to their community. Yeah. I didn't know any of I that. I guess my. But- oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. It's. <laughs> It's super it's super cool. I had one particular question on the style of improving. So there's one, I think Louis C.K., I think about this with music and writing music, actually, and I took it directly from him, is that apparently when he's working on his jokes or he's working on a set, like how he how would he know to improve things? What would he work on? And he'd list out all the jokes in order of like effectiveness or funniness, top to bottom. And he would spend all of his energy on the bottom three jokes, the worst three jokes in the set. And he would work on those exclusively until they were the best three jokes. 
And then he'd go back to the new bottom, work on those until they're the best. And I think about that with music or with almost anything. I, I, if I can turn the worst things I have now into the best things and keep cycling through, I don't know. I, that's just something that like stuck with me. Do you have any particular strategies when you're workshopping these jokes or these segments that aren't quite ready yet? How do you improve them? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say that I, you know, prioritize my weakest stuff and make sure I do it the most. I definitely don't always because it's but it's harder also when you're newer because there's also just this pressure to establish yourself. So anytime I go on stage, I want to do well. But that being said, I do sets where I can mm-hmm. totally fail and there's no stakes. So more recently now, I have been okay, I'm not going to do It's not like I'm going to do my worst jokes, but I'm definitely not going to do my best jokes so that I don't have that cushion. Like, I don't want to come out of the gate killing. I want to start with a weaker joke. And so I I strive to to refine my weaker jokes. I don't really have a good strategy. I'm not going to pretend that I do. I will say um, just not giving up on a bit because I do have a couple bits that for a really long time were like, these ideas that I loved but could not make work. And then finally, after just over and over again saying them, changing little things, I was like, oh, got it. And now they're my a couple of my best jokes. So just never giving up on ideas that you really like. And then sometimes giving up is another strategy because there's sometimes I'm like, I don't care about this premise enough to make it fun. Like, why am I even trying to joke about this? I'm going to put that aside, spend mm. my energy on this idea that I care about more. So it's also a j- joking about things that you actually care about because that will keep your set from getting tired and stale, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that lends to the authenticity too. If you're not excited about it, if you're not excited about what you're doing, it's not going to translate well. And can I circle back to like, it's so, it, I love having conversations with you because like, we get to talk about comedy because like we don't get to talk about comedy with musicians. Typically they're, they're out there practicing or, or producing. Musicians. <laughs> I want to circle back to the music. <sighs> they're just always musicians in their mirrors and their woodsheds. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember recently, maybe it was on your podcast or it was on, on Instagram or something. You said you played uh, a Brahms sextet recently. What was it for? Because I want to play a Brahms sextet. I haven't played any Brahms sextets in like years and I miss it. It was for nothing. <laughs> it was for nothing. <laughs> Literally, there was no money or anything. It was just my friend who had relocated upstate during the pandemic. She has this really charming cabin on a really nice property. And she just called up a few of her friends and said, hey, let's put together a little concert for like the neighbors outside and whoever wants to come. So we just went to her house, had a sleepover, rehearsed and played for the neighbors. So it was really just for us. So you too could do do something like that. <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we could get together and play Brahms. Wait, too. what? <laughs> I would love that actually, for real. I don't think, do we ever play orchestra together or I don't think we ever did chamber music or anything together? We might have been stand partners once. I don't think we were in a chamber group together. I don't know. We did, do you remember, it was a long time ago. It was like at the at BAM. It was like for John Cale oh, or something. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yes. We yeah, played a gig with John Cale. It's like the Kale. violist from like some, 
John Kit, like it was like Velvet from, Underground. What band was he from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was- Wasn't it weird seeing a violist with such like love? Right. Yeah, yeah, because he plays viola. It's that was a weird gig, but it was fun. Super weird. But yeah, we sat next to each other for that. I think that might be what I'm remembering. Okay, yeah, and no, that was after Juilliard. Yeah. I don't think I was always in the back of the orchestra. That's why. I think we were. I feel like we were stand partners at one point too, but I don't know. No, it's starting to come back. I feel because like, I always like sight read. Yeah, I feel like, <laughs> like whenever blurring. I was stand partners with someone, it was always like this mischievous relationship because you're both trying to like. <laughs> get away with you know not knowing your part at all and like laughing yeah. <laughs> and kind of like oh i gotta be turned the page sorry i'm a little it's like always this fun little little relationship and then you're n- normally you're not even friends with the person outside of it we are friends but i feel like i had all these little relationships with people i would otherwise i don't know it's just this fun little world faking notes yeah. Sp- speaking yeah. of these fun little worlds is it weird now or what's it like r- when you return to music land because you're still very much in it you're doing still doing new music things we see Matt Richter Carolyn Shaw like you're still like actively out there and being part of that what's it like having these two fairly distinct worlds honestly the positive side of me will say that it's like a blessing it's so great to to be able to do both and they both feed each other it's like they each nourish me in a certain way and make me whole That's the corny response. What I'm usually feeling (laughs) when I'm doing music now, I don't know. I'm so not over it, but it's just, it's sometimes it's a reminder that there's a reason why I started doing comedy. I just often Mm. not inspired and feel like it's what I'm doing is what's the point. Sometimes you get really great gigs where you're like, oh, this is the point. And then a lot of times I'd rather doing stand-up i don't know if i'm being really honest that's the mix of things going through my head but it depends on what mood i'm in and what the gig is of course and i do comedy sometimes and i'm like what am i doing with my life this is awful but i I do think i I feel (laughs) really lucky to be able to to exist in both worlds i think it's really cool and it's very enriched it leads to a lot of enrichment in my life i think so i don't know and it helps i guess to be able to switch back and forth so when one's getting you down the other's ready for you totally yeah it's having two husbands one relationship's not going so well how long were you in utah like (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i learned a lot of things in utah Met some people. Apologies to our Utah listeners. Shout out, yeah, I was going to say shout out to Utah. You're a beautiful state. We love you. It is a beautiful state. I love your state. It is. And I was like, I could start a religion here. Let's (laughs) tell us what I pulled through Utah. I was like, I get it. Could totally start a religion here. Are you like, I don't know. Do you watch the news? Are you paying attention to what's going on in the world? (sighs) A little bit. Um, Do you see that... a little bit do you see everything's on fire right now literally like uh, in oregon there was a haze over new york yesterday or the day before because of the fires in oregon you can't not see it it's crazy here in colorado like i can't see anything la just looks like permanently hazy right yeah no it's not different here (laughs) it's literally not different here in la yeah winds blowing east no it's it's not good it's when you feel it there are going to be these moments as as climate change is happening where we feel it more viscerally and that's scary and sad but i also have hope for the future i do no follow-ups on that (laughs) i have hope for the future i do (laughs) why not that's a problem i feel so 
helpless as like an artist because it's times like these that I'm like, should I just be like a scientist and get on this shit? Because like I'm sitting here playing viola. <laughs> like, what what do I do? Yeah, you know? I think there's some, there are very smart people working on it. And I would be a terrible scientist. So I think I would just slow down the whole <laughs> the whole operation. So for me, there's things you can do. You can eat less meat, you can recycle, donate, unless you're gonna be a scientist or like a full-time activist. You do what you can and stay aware and try to make sure other people are aware. But we need violists and we need Drew. We need that viola kid. We need everything. Do we? <laughs> Turns out viola was the cure for climate change. Like it was it was in front of us the whole time. The whole time. Right there. <laughs> the whole time. I was gonna say that's that's a very good point. And something like we've like openly pondered here and thought about and talked with our guests too is, is where do artists and creative and performing artists where where do we like fit into this equation because it is hard to like look at all this shit happening being like why am i not a more active activist and then i think yeah anthony mcgill had some similar line on there too when we were asking him about it we each can contribute in our own special way to this everyone could always do more but just making sure that we are doing something in our own way and then there's also those quotes of art makes life worth living or something like that and that if we can make people enjoy it or go along with this process and make it entertaining uh so we think about it like how do we how do we learn stuff more often through entertainment we want to do something that's fun we we don't want to do the hard stuff we're not built to want to do the hard stuff and so if there's ways we can go go about it to make it more interesting or entertaining that can go a long way and of course the best example i can think of more so than tv or anything is specifically Comedy. Think of how many things that are now like normal place, LGBTQ, like almost everything, mental health, that were probably put in front of the public sphere, the public ethos, because comedians got on there and made it fun to talk about these things, made it entertaining. We're able to make jokes about it, which kind of gave it, gave it credibility. If you can make fun of something, it has lasting power. And so I give a lot of credit to comedy for opening up perspectives of about religion and other topics. Yeah, I mean, the thing that makes me feel the best about something I'm worried about is making a joke about it. That's not to say like I sometimes feel like okay, like you're just a comedian, like a lot of comedy is not that great, like we're not fucking saving the world with our fucking comedy. <laughs> but there are some really great comedians out there who have helped a lot of people. And if you're really if you're really good, it can be really powerful. And just for the for my own benefit, being a comedian, yeah, like just joking about something is therapeutic for me. So, yeah, I say, like, as long as you're you feel like you're, you are contributing something, like if you're feeling really like uninspired by what you're doing, then then you should do something else. You find the thing that's most inspiring because I feel like a world of inspired people is probably going to be a better world than like a world of not inspired people and probably better equipped to take on whatever comes our way and probably if you're inspired you're gonna be less destructive i think so so we want a world of inspired people and not expired people yes ah, <laughs> i mean we we're, the world is, is well past yeah. expiration date but <laughs> we're past like the sell-by date are we still gonna eat this like 
if there's some fungus on like this blueberry, is it okay if I eat the rest of the pear? Let's just let, rinse it off. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Like, you know, like, oh, we eat mold. Cheese is mold. I can eat this. What did, so what inspires you these days? God, watching movies that I like, watching things that I think people put real effort and thought into, listening to my favorite music. Spending time with people who I feel energized by in my personal life. Just those things. Just consuming art that I love or that makes me think. Putting on some piece of music that I, that always makes me feel something. And every time I hear something a little different, it gets pictures moving in my head. And then I feel like I want to write something. Or watching stand-up, it gets my joke juices flowing. And then I'm like, oh, I've joke, I'll make a joke about that. Because the way he worded that reminded me of this thing. I don't know. <laughs> all sorts of things sometimes it's hard you wake up and you're just like okay what a, it's like a problem solving every morning how can i get myself in a good place feeling inspired today and saying no inspires me saying no to a lot of things because turns out most things are oh. a waste of time and not what i want to be doing but it's really hard to say no because you want to uh make everyone happy as a human i think we all want to make people happy but saying no can be very empowering and remind you of your path that you want to be on. It's a luxury saying no. So it's to what degree can you do it in your life? You have to eat and work. But when you can say no and you want to say no. <laughs> Just say no. Just say Just no. Say no. <laughs> no means no. Can um, say no to drugs. N- n- yes. Yeah. Yes. Faking yes. no means no. Yeah. We subscribe to that. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't like, mean what? No, no, no. Like, we just let it all hang out. <laughs> I wanted to maybe finish up and I want to see what is going on in the future for you. We're kind of opening up. You got any big shows coming up? You got anything you want to shed some light on that you're about? Any projects that you're working on? I have uh, the fifth episode of my web series is coming out probably at the end of August. I thought I was done making them, but I shot another one. So that's in post right Ooh. now. Just a fun oh, little go. bonus episode. And in general, Is a Violist, the web series, might be taking on some more expanded forms. I don't know exactly mm. what yet, but it's definitely going to happen in some way. So just stay tuned for that. I'm traveling. I'm going to be like in Atlantic City for a week in August. The Borgata, August 15th to 19th, and then a few other things after that. Awesome. Wow, that's a nice that's a nice little spread. Where can people find your web series? Uh, just subscribe to my YouTube, which is just Is- Isabel Hagen, or you can just search Isavialist. It'll come right up. Yeah. That's awesome. Beautiful. And I guess the the last little like tidbits to focus in on, like how is how is it being on the writing side? And like creating these, this type of content, because it's not easy. It's not easy going on stage, but it's, it's even harder. I think like putting it down on wax, making it digital and putting it out in the public. What's it been like piecing these together? I've, I've loved it so much. And it's similar to the, to jokes where it's just, I keep writing something and tweaking it until it seems like something I would want to see, you know, and it, sometimes it takes a really long time and sometimes certain scenes just pour out and it's different every time I'm writing. So just sticking with it. But it's I like having this kind of like long pursuit. It feels good. And it's like a thing to wake up and do. Okay, I'm going to work on this today and, and make it a little less shitty. <laughs> so I can always make something a little less shitty. 
Yeah. Wise words to live by. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I still feel like that with my viola playing. It's so crazy. Like you could do something for so long and still be like, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it's a weird like duality to exist in. Because on the one hand, like you're fucking amazing at the viola. Anyone would see you play and be like, you sound great. But on the other hand, yeah, in our like perfectionist, we're at the t- we're trying we're striving for this top top level. There's always work to be done. So it's like this weird kind of give yourself credit, but also yeah, like you gotta keep working. <laughs> gotta keep working. Gotta keep <laughs> keeps going. There's some philo- like philosophy about life. It was written about like investing or something, but it's called like the Farnham principles. Everyone's just trying to be the smartest person in the room. Like everyone's driving towards this genius, Mm -hmm. but that a better way and a more effective way is just to try to not be the dumbest person in the room. (laughs) You're not going to be always be the best at everything. You're not going to know at all. But if you can be a little less dumb, it'll get you basically, it'll get you out of way more trouble than trying to be the genius. Yes. And that's what we try to do here at Fake Notes Podcast. We try to make you. Less dumb. dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's our cats, our tagline. I love that. <laughs> oh man well thanks thanks again for coming through it's so great to catch up uh, and like to see all that you've been doing this past year uh-huh. and oh, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to catch one of your shows yeah it's so great to see you guys and thanks for having me again and i'm sorry there's like a little latency so if there's been like awkward pauses it's the tech it's not me i will, I will <laughs> cut them out and i will just insert the laugh track and everyone will be like wow they were just so funny so on top of it <laughs> No gaps. It's the power of the air. Right.